I'm I'm just concerned that I've got you on a promise where I've got to have you ready for for a bath. Yep. I've got I've got a time limited. You have. I need a bath. I need to soak my yeah. back, which yeah. is not taken kindly to my New Year's resolution of doing something for my mind and, and losing a few <laughs> and losing a few pounds. Yeah. Um. In the process. Well. You know, you'll find that there are certain elements, certain rogue elements who are always resistant to change. Yeah, one of them's my back. It's currently smarting like a mother fluffer. Yeah, well well done without swearing because we never swear on this podcast. That's uh, the important thing to remember. There's never been a swear word uttered. Never, never, never. We would never stoop mm. so low. I believe I've actually written at least one F-bomb into this script, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can oh. edit it out. Don't worry, we'll put a beep in for it. Yeah, if I remember, that's what we'll do. That sound fair? No, I'm not bothered. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story. Yes. I know you always complain about it beginning in the Victorian era. This does start in the Victorian era, but she's on her way out because it begins on April the 14th, 1899. Okay. Mm. Good start that you're already yawning. No, I'm so sorry. It's when I get cold, I get yawning. You've got so bored of the Victorian <laughs> era. So she's bored. Like, oh, whatever, Joe. I'm already done with it. <laughs> this was because yeah. the 14th of April, 1899, was the day that Arthur Owens was born. Very good. We've got an... Uh, oh, my God. My brain. I was going to say, we've got an October baby. No, we are both October babies. We have an April baby. Yeah, he was born three days after Milo's birthday. Our wee chap. Our yeah. boysy boy. And then, you know, over 100 years added on to that. But yeah. still, three days. He was born in Pontardwy, just north of Swansea, in southern Wales. However, both of his parents were English. Ugh. Mm. Well, there you go. His father, William, had started out as a plumber, but he fancied himself as an inventor and created a successful business designing and manufacturing radiators and, this is the exciting bit, acetylene gas equipment. Radiators? Yes, he was a plumber, but he he started to design radiators. Did he have radiators? Yes. In late Victorian England? Yes, he was a plumber. What do you think he was plumbing? Pipes, mostly. that were attached to radiators. Right. His mother, Ada, this is uh, Arthur's oh, mother, Ada. I, we have an Ada in our family. Was 16 years younger than William, and her desire for the family to always be improving their station may have led to the events that young Arthur claimed changed his life in 1915. Okay. Mm-hmm. By this time, Arthur had finished school, where he had apparently shown a special talent for science and had been apprenticed to an electrical engineering firm. This was probably with a view that he would eventually return to the family business with skills that would benefit the ongoing expansion. When did electricity come to? When 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 did we? When did we do electricity? Mm. When? Well, it began during the Victorian era. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, when the when they're like, oh well, and I'm not going to say invented, but kind of like, did they invent electricity? I don't I don't even know. 
electricity was starting to become um, more ubiquitous. So it was moving from that, you know... No, that's not what I'm on about. ...being a niche thing. My brain's working very slow. It's very well, cold. It, there was the whole decision between the AC and the DC currents that was going on in America um, in the Victorian time when um, they electrocuted an elephant to try and argue that one current was better than the other, which is fun. Yeah, I'm not talking about that either. It's like, at, at some point... Somebody looked at electricity and thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, <clears throat> did somebody invent it? Somebody applied it. Somebody realised what it could be applied to do. Right. But no, it wasn't invented. It's always been so- it was something that people were aware of, electrical charge and electrical current. Right. But I've, n- I've never actually applied any level of thought as to when that might be. Well, it was before 1915 because he was right. apprenticed as an electrical engineer at that point. And I don't think he was apprenticed to the person who discovered that electricity could be used in that way. Fair enough. However, mm. with the outbreak of World War One, Arthur dreamed of leaving the fantastical world of electrics behind him. There's nothing more boring. Our, our brother-in-law works with electricity, doesn't he? He's, uh... Tread carefully, he listens. I know he does. Hi, Josh. Um... And I literally have no desire to know what he does. Is it boring or is it that to you it is so incomprehensible? No, to me it's... It's, it's white noise. Probably both. Mm. I remember doing physics at school. Yeah. And I'm not actually quite sure how I passed physics because I still to this day don't know what I wrote. I just learnt it verbatim and then instantly forgot it. That's how a lot of us passed science at GCSE level. Don't worry. Yeah. But with the outbreak of World War One, Arthur dreamed of joining the newly formed Royal Flying Corps. He believed that his knowledge of engineering, electronics and chemistry would make him a star candidate. But when he applied, he was rejected for being too small and, and this is a direct quote, Very good. Highly strung. Oh, he was no. a bit neurotic. <laughs> as well as being a worker in a reserved occupation. So they were like, actually... We can't afford to have you shot down. I was just going to say, it's skill. too valuable. Mm. And they were called the, what was it, the 15 minuters? Or? The 20 minuters. The You're 20 going back minutes. to Blackadder again. Going back you? to Blackadder. And, and, and Rick Mayall. Yeah. But it's like, I know I know. technically we had the Flying Corps in World mm. War One. It wasn't that big a thing. It's not like it's it's not like what it was in World War Two. Oh, it was the beginning of. Well, it was the, the, the very beginning of, and, and but the Germans were a lot better at it than we were. Oh, we'll cover that, yeah. Don't worry. But this rejection from the Royal Flying Corps, this was the first grudge that mm. Arthur came to have with the Ministry of Defence. Oh, he's going to get beef with the MOD, is he? The second grudge came following the arrival of Zeppelins in British skies in January of 1915. These bombing raids would eventually cost the lives of 557 people, with a further 1,385 injuries and the equivalent of nearly £200 million worth of property damage. So what was his beef with the Zeppelin? I mean, apart from the fact that they were there. No, 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 we're, we're, we're getting to it. I'm just setting the scene. Oh, you're setting the so scene. I'm, okay. what, I'm, what I'm establishing is these Zeppelins, they were a bit of a problem Ooh. because... The the big thing was the level of terror and disruption to manufacturing being caused because mm. this was a brand new thing. You know, sort of bombing of civilian populations hadn't been possible before, you know, flight, powered flight. And mm. this was the first time it was being used on a major, major population centres. Mm. 
And the MOD, they realised quickly that they needed a new kind of weapon to counter the Zeppelin threat. And it just so happened that it was Arthur's father, William, who stepped up to meet the challenge. His small engineering firm developed a new kind of shell that was particularly effective against the German Zeppelin. And by 1917, 30 of the 84 Zeppelins being used for the bombing raids had been shot down. And the Germans changed their strategy to using planes called Gotha Bombers, which is a particularly pleasing name. Mm. The Gotha Bomber. Gotha Bomber. Because they were more manoeuvrable and they were able to, to avoid these, these shells designed by a plumber uh, living in North Wales. Mm. However, when it came time to properly credit William Owens, and more importantly to pay William Owens, mm. the British government engaged in a bit of legal wrangling. Oh, I bet they did. And William ended up with absolutely nothing. Oh, do you know what? Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Mm. It really doesn't. Yeah. Understandably, this placed a lot of financial stress on the family. And in the summer of 1918, when most British people were starting to hope that the war could soon be coming to an end, mm -hmm. the Owens were struck by a tragedy when Ada died of a sudden brain hemorrhage. Oh, God. Possibly, we can't say conclusively, but possibly brought on by the financial insecurity. I was just going to say, that, that could have been sparked by the stress. So basically, she was her brain blew up due to the Ministry of Defence, is what we're saying. Not There's well. There's a few steps in between. I mean, I don't think I'd put it quite that bluntly. I, th I think she probably <coughs> had an aneurysm from the stress. Well, either way, Ada's gone. Oh, Joe! She's She's gone and she's not coming back. We're going to have to... We've grieved. I've we not. We have to move on. I've not. Poor I've not old, got over it I yet. I want to say poor old Ada, but she was very young. She would have been uh, in her mid-30s. She would have been about, I don't know, 35, 36 at this point. Oh, she just had a no. massive brain. What, you mean our age? Yeah, oh, due to financial stress. God. Imagine. Well, I've, I've, not, I've not got there yet, but, you know, give it a couple more months, I might be. Mm. Poor old William, widowed and disillusioned, dissolved his engineering firm and headed back to England. Mm. Providing his son Arthur with enough money to start up his own business if he so choose. So he's like, it's up to you. Here's a bit of the money from the business because I can no longer hand the business over to you. Oh. But you can start your own. Mm -hmm. If you so choose. Mm. Arthur took the money and started describing himself as a manufacturing chemist. Whatever that means. I couldn't actually get to the bottom of what, what that was whether that was a real occupation or whether it was just a vague description he gave to people. But he's a manufacturing chemist. Okay. Mm. Um, of substances? Again, don't know. Just Medicinal? A possibly, possibly. Or are we talking... Um, uh, no, you see, I can only imagine explosives. Ooh, you think explosives? I think explosives, Okay, yeah. well, he also got married to a woman from a little village called Noel. Noel? Mm. Just south of Birmingham... The, the lady he married, the beautiful name, Irene Ferret. Ah, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Ferret. Well, unfortunately, it's Mr. and Mrs. Owens, but Mr. I agree. Mr. and Mrs. Ferret. Mr. and Mrs. Ferret would have been better. Infinitely better way round. Mm. If you, if you did have a, if I did have a really exciting last name, mm. like Biscuit. Yes. And you hadn't got an exciting last name like Biscuit, we would have been Mr and Mrs Biscuit. Oh, we discussed this, yeah. We discussed we discussed this at length. We once may have been Yeah, Mr. we discussed changing by le changing our name legally to 
Joe and Emma Biscuit just for the fun of it. Yeah, you get one do-over. You get one legal do-over yeah. in your life if you get married. I advise anybody, don't waste it. Yeah. Don't we waste did, it. We, we dissed it. it. And 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 <laughs> somewhere there is an, an alternative timeline with Mr. and Mrs. Biscuit. I wonder how they're doing. I hope they're doing well. They just occasionally laugh about their surname when post comes through. Yeah. Otherwise, it's very similar. Yeah. The following year, after not becoming Mr. Biscuit... Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Ferret. <laughs> Mr. Ferret, even. <laughs> uh, Arthur's father died of kidney failure, which left Arthur with a good-sized inheritance. And it suddenly became clear what Arthur had meant by manufacturing chemist when he set up a confectionery business on the Welsh coast. <laughs> so he's making sweets. Can't be a confectioner, he's a manufacturing chemist. Because, you know, there are chemicals in sweets. This is the story of the first E-numbers. It wouldn't surprise me. Well, I mean, they had to come from somewhere, didn't they? Did. they? I always just thought they were byproducts of some biohazard somewhere. Mm. E-numbers. No, I mean, but a manufacturing... Ke- well, he's not. At the moment, he's a confectioner. Mm. Although the 1920s were a boom time for the seaside holidays in the Mumbles district of Swansea, which was where he pitched up, mm-hmm. with its impressive pier and 20 pubs gracing the high street. Apparently now there's only five. Thank you, Brexit Britain. 20? 20. And there was a pub crawl where you were expected to have a pint in all of them. Dear Lord. I know. A lot of men died of alcohol poisoning in Mumbles, I'm assuming, in the <laughs> 1920s. God, I wouldn't even make it to the third pub. I'm, I'm not a drinker. By the time you got I'm halfway down the high street, the rivers of piss could actually <laughs> sweep away small children. <laughs> rivers of piss and vomit. But Arthur, despite having this ready supply of punters, was mm. always chronically short of money. Mm. And this was because Arthur had decided that after what had happened to his family, the world owed him. And oh, dear. He was damn sure he was going to live a lifestyle of excess and privilege and the rarefied air of high society. And and why did he exactly did he think this? Because the MOD poo pooed. Yeah, he was like if he if his father had been given the Jews Yeah. He, then he, he would have been rich though. They, they, in, in, they wouldn't have his mum wouldn't have had an aneurysm. No, in Arthur's stress. mind though, you know you know how it is when you're going through grief. In Arthur's mind it was Mum wouldn't have died. Oh. Dad's business would have gone gangbusters and would have become the new version of British aerospace or whatever. And he would yeah. suddenly find himself, you know, the heir apparent to a multi-million pound industry. But it was all ripped away and now he's making sweets in Swansea. He didn't have to make sweets in Swansea. That no, was he didn't his have choice. to make sweets in Swansea. He chose to make sweets in Swansea. Yeah. Willy Wonka is not. He's not happy enough. Inevitably where, you know, his lifestyle aspirations weren't matched by his actual business acumen. Yeah. He ran through his inheritance within a year. Jesus and the debts finally piled up to the point that the bailiffs came looking for Arthur Owens. Oh, dear. But they didn't find him, as he had scarpered with his wife and his new baby son onto a boat. Baby ferret. <laughs> You're going to keep <laughs> undermining this with baby ferrets and ferrets all over the place, aren't yep. you? Yep. Mr. and Mrs. Owens and the baby ferret Mm. got on a boat in Bristol to sail to Canada in October of 1921. Canada? Mm. It's part of the empire. There's lots of places that are warmer. And do you know what the most important thing about Canada is? You can disappear. Yes. Swansea bailiffs ain't getting all the way to Canada to to recoup those debts. They're just going to write them off. Mm. After a few years working as a public utility engineer, 
which I imagine is toilet cleaner. I was going to say that that's something to do with sanitation. It feels that way. Is it a bin man? He may be a bin man. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) He was a public utility engineer. Yeah. Arthur saw an opportunity to improve his fortunes by entering a business partnership with an Australian man called John Mercer. Okay. When he was able to convince him that he had developed a new battery technology utilising a new type of lead oxide paste, which they could patent together. So that manufacturing chemist, turns out it was batteries that he was working on. Oh. Mm. All of this time. With sweets on the sly yeah. to cover it up. In, be- in between cleaning toilets in Canada, mm. he was uh, messing around with lead, which is always a good thing for people to do. Just get lots of lead into the system. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good thing for your body to have an over-absorption of lead. Yeah. Word of the patent, though, it got around the business communities and Arthur found himself being wooed. He's being headhunted and schmoozed. And he was eventually offered a position at the Expanded Metal Company, which was based back in the UK. Right, so he wasn't being lady wooed, he was being... Mm. No, a lot of people, they were like, if this battery does what he's saying it'll do, we need to be in on the ground floor because this will revolutionise battery technology. So suddenly people are like... Well, if we offer him a, a, a deal that he thinks is good now, mm. you know, and get him locked in. Yeah. It's a bit like with the NFL quarterbacks, you know, when they offer them the rookie contract mm-hmm. and it's really cheap. Yeah. And they get them for like four years on this really cheap deal. On the cheapy cheaps. Yeah. It's, it's like they're trying to do that. They're trying to woo. It's draft day and they're trying to jockey for position to get that young, fiery quarterback. Although yeah, in this case, it's a, a young, malnourished Welshman who was reported as having, and again, this is an official document, rat-like features. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. I mean, Ferret would have been a really good surname. Ferret would have been a... Oh, no. And now all I can think is he's got a, a tiny baby rat child. <laughs> yes, he does baby. have a tiny baby ferret. <laughs> baby ferret. Probably in- inherited his dad's rat-like features. Yeah, probably. The apple don't fall far mm. if our son's anything mm. to go by. He's like a tiny little you. The chance to return to the UK in triumph, yes. that was all he needed. And he stopped only to get a Canadian passport to make sure that he had dual citizenship. Then Arthur, he was on his way and he was so keen to get to England to take up his new position. I wouldn't be so freaking keen. I would have tried to I would have tried to um, continue this in Canada. I wouldn't have set back foot, put my teeth back in. I wouldn't have set stepped back on UK soil. No. At all. Ever. Uh, Bailiffs are horrible. Yeah, but he doesn't care now because he's a senior consultant with expanded metal. He he should should mind because he's got more to lose. No, no, no. They're not going to catch him. He's now too important. He can wave that off. Right, okay, whatever. He arrived six weeks before his wife and began preemptively spending the riches he was certain to earn as soon as the first contract for his new batteries came through. Has he he got the patent yet? Yeah, he's got the patent, but he's already living on credit. He's like, I'm so sure we're going to sell, you know, massive, we're going to make massive Right, contracts. so he's got a patent, but he has to share that patent with somebody else and he's living beyond his means to begin with. Yeah, from from the start, he's he's the assuming a, that... The man's a twat. There's, ne- there's going to be this never-ending exponential uptick in his fortunes. Mm-hmm. Sadly, though, Although the Navy were interested in using the batteries for their new line of submarines, the batteries turned out to be too temperamental and the contract never materialised. Oh, no. 
Arthur kind of tried to pass the blame on that and said that despite what he'd said, they were trying to save money by using an inferior quality lead oxide thing. Mm. Um, but either, either way, it gave Arthur yet another grudge to hold against the MOD. Right. You, you can't try and send, sell the MOD an inferior product and say it's their fault that they don't take it up. If it's yeah, an but when his family product... sold them a, a superior product, they didn't pay him. So it it seems like it's just well, they big... have they hate the Owens, I think. It's no, quite clear they, they no, hate the Owens. No, no. Because what his father should have done is secure himself because you know that any any person in a position of power, hmm. if gifted something for free, is not going to do the right thing and give the person who should be given their dues their dues, you are going to get shafted. So you need to, yeah, you need to, you need to protect yourself. And unfortunately, his dad was too innocent and naive to protect himself in that situation. It's got nothing to do with the Ministry of Defence, and to be honest, everything to do with the fact that his dad lacked the nous. And they shouldn't have done it. The dad, he died of kidney failure. Well, and a broken heart. Tough shit. Because as you know, the heart and the People kidneys... People die all the time. Yeah. But it's like... I'm not saying the Ministry of Defence acted properly. They didn't. But anybody, anybody from a lower middle class background down to a working class background knows that you do not mess with the upper classes unless you are fucking covered. You cover your ass. Well. Always. <clears throat> It didn't prove to be a total bust, though, because while he was trying to negotiate the contract in late 1935, mm. Arthur Owens was introduced to the deputy director of naval intelligence. What's he called? I bet he's got a. I bet he's got a, an amazing name and a good moustache. Go on. Probably, but I don't know it. That's very disappointing, Joe. Mr. Deputy Director, who suggested to Arthur that as he was planning to visit Germany to try and drum up some sales there, mm. he'd be very grateful if Arthur were to see his way to being able to gain any useful information regarding German German military developments. You know, and if he did happen to pick up a few tidbits of information and he shared it, yeah. there might be some money in it for him. Oh, right, so he's, he's, he's going to spy for the Ministry of Defence for well, free. He, he needs the extra money. No, no, there's going to be money involved. Mm. And he did need the extra cash because, you know, already... Well, he's already spending beyond his means. His wife's not even fucking there yet with Baby Ferret. Mm. While the Swansea bailiffs may have given up, the London bailiffs are soon going to be sniffing around. And to be fair, also, I think this guy is very much about himself. He he believes he's very important. He's destined for great things. So the idea of becoming a secret agent really played to his vanity. Can I just say at this point, I don't like him very much. Good. He winds. He's winding me up. I've not even started. Oh God. Right. So this kind of, it, it fitted in. Yes, I am that important. I am that sort He's of not. smart. I could be a secret agent. Mm-hmm. He decided to take the Navy up on their offer. Mm. And in January of 1936, he was able to collect some significant information regarding a new coastal motorboat in development by the German army, for which he was remunerated handsomely, or as mm. handsomely as um, MI6 could manage. Because apparently they were incredibly underfunded prior to World War Two. Yes. Yeah, the Ministry of Defence wasn't, but the MI5 and 6 were. Hmm. 
Indeed, the information proved so valuable that Arthur's name was passed on to MI6 as a potential asset, and he was given the code name Snow. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out why. Because it's almost an anagram of Owens. Oh, that's nice. Almost. Yeah. It's a it's a not quite anagram. Yeah. I was trying to figure it out. I, I am very tired tonight. I, sh- mm. I should have been more on the ball. You're anagrams better anagrams than I was going to say, yeah. anagrams are my thing, aren't they? Oh, to be fair, there was, you know, there was no E in it, so... Yeah. His first official MI6 mission was a trip to Kiel, where he was tasked to provide some photographs of the new German warship that was currently docked there. Did he get stuck on the M6? <laughs> Different Kiel. This is K-I-E-L. Oh. Yeah. This is, this is in foreign parts. Oh, like the face, like the face stuff brand, the, the like the moisturizer, like Kiel. I don't know. I do. I look like I know about moisturizer. <laughs> Have you seen the wrinkled, cratered thing that is my face? I see it every day. Man. Yeah, you poor, poor thing. Now he did manage to get the information and get out of Kiel undetected, but when he reached British customs and they tried to take his camera. He immediately announced that he was a spy, that the camera contained top-secret information about Germany, and that they could call the MI6 offices at Thames House if they needed to confirm his story. Jesus. So let him on his way, sir. Let him on his way. The man's a loose cannon. Yeah. The man can't hold his water. Who's my lady? Where is she? Let me, let me just bring her back. Where's Paddy? Paddy wouldn't let me down oh, like this. Crap. No, Paddy... Paddy would manage to actually not immediately blab all of the details. For those who haven't delved deep, 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 diving, delving, deeping into our back catalogue, we did an episode very early on about a lady. A lady spy. She was was part of the the forces that went behind enemy lines. She was part of the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Mm, And she was called Paddy O'Sullivan. Yeah. And she, she was is, a brick. She was a brick and possibly one of my most favourite mm. people we've ever covered. What a, I, I love a capable person. You do. And by heck, she was capable. This man's a wazzock. Well, he, he at least got the information back. <coughs> but the lack of discretion is probably why a German businessman called Erwin Pieper... <laughs> what is funny about Erwin Pieper, the <laughs> German businessman? In fact, he's called Pieper. I feel I feel that you're making mock of this successful businessman for for reasons that I'm not quite clear. Oh. Anyway, he met Erwin Pieper, <laughs> who quickly figured out that Arthur was spying during his trips to the continent, probably because Arthur told him. <laughs> I bet he told every other person. I bet I bet everyone knew why he was there. Mm-hmm. It's like walking through Germany, like I'm just spying. Don't mind me. Here <laughs> Do you want I to come. buy some batteries, by the way? <laughs> I do still have some Nobody in England does. <laughs> They're really good, but temperamental, which is what you want in a battery. <laughs> Esme, es darling. They barely ever explode. Bear with, our, our very old cat has just decided to join the I'm party. I'm just decided and to carry on at this point. Because... Toothy tooth all the equipment with her toothy teeth. It's fine. If people don't realise that we often get bombed by cats, then... Yeah, we had Thursday in with us before. Oh, we did. Well, yeah, you, if you hear b- bumping, it's not us, it's the cats. Hey, Jingles. Anyway, in order to confirm the suspicion that this person who said he was spying was a spy, though, Irwin decided to offer 
to provide Arthur with some sensitive secrets. <laughs> Why? Just to check to see if he really was a spy. Um, and this led Arthur to immediately disclose everything in his excitement to gain more information that he could provide to the British government for he's cash. He's not a spy, he's a blabber. Yeah. He's a professional blab. You wouldn't you wouldn't tell him shit. I imagine the conversation when Irwin came up to him and went, Are you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to sell some military secrets from Germany, but I just don't know anyone who'd be interested in them. Oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> you know, and it... Arthur, either through, you know, desperation that really he needed more money than he was getting. Yeah. Or just through ignorance was like, it's your lucky day. Yes. Would would you believe that I'm just the fella who would like such information? Oh, God. While Irwin didn't ever end up providing any secrets, when he met Arthur again, this time in Germany, Mm -hmm. he casually suggested that the German intelligence service, the Abwehr, they paid their spies much more handsomely for the risks that they took on behalf of the Third Reich. It's like, you know, the weirdest thing is, you're doing all of this for, you know, twenty pounds here, twenty pounds there. Mm-hmm. Abwehr agents, they get like two hundred and fifty pounds a month just base salary. That's before you even start to yeah. add in, you know, expenses for hotels. I was and, gonna say expenses, and bonuses, and bonuses, and, and the for many, extra many info. prostitutes that are offered. And access to as much drink and drugs as your little rat down... face can manage. <laughs> rat face ferret. The, the only downside, of course, is you will be working for Hitler. Mm. But no, you'll be, you'll be working for a nice German handler. You'll never actually have to meet Adolf. And plus, this is 1935, 1936. There's no, there's no war yet. And everyone yet, knows that everything's going to be fine. He was still cracking about, wasn't he? He just wanted Liebenstrom and then he'll be happy. A little mm. bit more elbow room. That's all he's asking for. Isn't mm. that reasonable? What does one need elbow room for with that moustache? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what sense that makes, but it kind of feels profound. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. My, my brain my brain thought it and I needed to birth it. Believing that Owens was close to turning, Irwin invited him to spend some time with him at the Strand Palace Hotel, where unlimited booze and the company of a few prostitutes convinced Arthur that spying for Germany was far more lucrative. This was probably why he tried to further convince them of his willingness to turn against the country of his birth. Fucking scab. By concocting the story about his father being screwed over by the MOD which actually never happened. That was a complete fabrication. What? Yeah, it was a complete fabrication by Arthur Owens to try and ingratiate himself. Now that he decided he was going to be a German spy, he was like, I need to convince them that I have a massive grudge against the Ministry of Defence. So what you told me about the Ministry of Defence screwing over his dad... That's an Arthur Owens lie. His dad was a plumber. His dad was always a plumber. His wife died just through unfortunate incidents. (gasps) All of that was a fabrication that he came Probably up with. Probably just poor diet and stress. Mm. Yeah, living off a plumber's salary. Because when he said he had an engineering business, I also am not sure about that. No. But yes, it was a complete lie. The whole thing about Zeppelins and shells. Oh, Arthur no. Owens made all of that up to try and convince the Germans that he was super serial about becoming a traitor. Right, you know when I said I really didn't like him? Yeah. I, I mean, I really don't like him. Because if there's it when one, you hate them. There's, oh, I know you do. If there's one thing I really, really hate is that is people that just make shit up. I, 
unless it's so bombastic that there is no way on God's green that it could be real. <laughs> in which case, lie away because we're all in on it, but none of us want to admit that we know it's a lie. Mm. That's fine. But don't make it on the edge of truth where people aren't sure. I don't like that. I don't like that. Okay. Well, there's, there's only one type of lying that is in any way okay with me, and that is the bomb, the truly bombastic lie. That's why the, we like Sir Patrick Moore. Yeah, the yarn spinning, absolute lying through your back, bloody teeth lying, where you're just like, yeah, that never happened in a month of Sundays. But I'm going to let this one play out. Bias me. Bias me. That was a thunk and half, <laughs> it was. wasn't it? Well, you'll be pleased to know that. The, the spinning of this yarn in terms of timing for Arthur was absolutely perfect. As it turned out that selling unreliable batteries was not making as much money as he'd hoped and he'd recently been forced to move his family into cheaper accommodation. Do you know what? I now don't believe a bloody word he's ever said mm. ever. This, he, this is what lying does. He naturally saw the necessity of moving to live within his means as another grudge to hold against the UK in general. Why should he have to move out of the affluent area of London into a a less desirable area just because his business venture wasn't working out because his business venture was shit and well because screw you he's now going to sell state secrets to the nazis great he's a scab so basically he thinks the world owes him a living oh yes that comes across very strongly for for no reason other than everything he's dibble dabbled at he's not been very good at what, what you don't understand here um, is he is arthur owens and that's enough that's the reason. Ultimately, it's because he's him and he deserves everything. He was introduced to a German handler called Hilmar Dirks and was promised handsome rewards for providing key information about British military developments, which he naturally insisted. Oh, yeah, I can get hold of that. No problem. What do you want? You to tell be honest, me he's such, such a bloody blab that mm. the Ministry of Defence will already be on to him. He's such a blab. Oh, I've got such an itch. Please continue to verbalise everything. That's what I do. It works better for radio, to be fair. Really itchy leg. Well, there we go. The thing is, of course, that was a lie because MI6 knew he was a blab, so they weren't actually giving him any information. Why would they? His job. Well, that's what I thought. His job is to go over to the continent, glean what he can, and bring it back. Why? Why do they need to tell him anything? So he was making promises he could not keep. He was able to get a little bit of information from MI6. When was he shot in the face? Because mm. I imagine it's going to be very soon. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> but in order to try and beef up what little scraps he could get from, you know, the time he was in the offices, yeah, he scoured newspapers and magazines for reports <laughs> and tried to pass this public information off as top secret knowledge to his German handlers. Right, OK. So the German people that could probably get hold of this newspaper mm. because... It's news. Hmm. Well, you know, he's had a bit of a gift of the gab. He was good at re rewriting things so that they sounded fresh and new because for a while, at least, the hodgepodge of information, plus his promises that he was developing other potential double agents, convinced the Nazis that he would be a key asset if they ever did decide to invade Britain. So they were more than happy to put him up in expensive hotels when he was visiting Berlin on business, complete with many, many prostitutes. Many prostitutes and lots of money. Do you know what? Do you know what? Right, prostitutes aside, I feel so sorry for his wife and baby ferret. 
It's like I'm so I feel so so I what bet do- she's absolutely she's she's been sold a string of lies yeah. as well. So she's not even with him she's with him under false pretenses as it is. Mm. She now doesn't I bet she has no idea what he's up to. Well because I first bet First of all it's ferrets now because there's a little daughter as well. Oh two but secondly, baby ferrets. It was a very schizophrenic life in that you know, he would move them into really opulent. Yeah, oh, there, and then they'd have to run away, and they'd have to they'd have to go and hide. And I bet she, you know, you know, like it was like when boom, you bust. you know just enough to upset you, but not not enough, enough to be able to confirm to, anything to have the bigger picture. Mm-mm. That is how I imagine this poor woman's living a life. What a stressful fucking situation! I'd have left him. I don't think she stays till the end. Good. Okay. Take I'll them ferrets that. and run, Arthur though, his lack of any solid information for MI6 when he returned from these trips. It began to raise suspicions. No shit. As did his sudden purchase of a nice Jaguar Roadster, (laughs) which he couldn't afford, and a sudden improvement in his dress sense, which had always been terrible. Oh my god. However, it took the uncovering of another double agent called Christopher Draper to expose the fact that Owens was double dealing. So they caught caught this um, colonel Christopher Draper mm-hmm. um, as a as a spy, and in some of his correspondence, when they deciphered it, they were referencing Arthur Owens as another contact that the Germans were using. So mm-hmm. they now knew that Owens was double dealing, but Owens didn't know that they he didn't know that they knew. Oh, what a tangle web mm. we weave! And MI6 decided that they didn't want to confront Owens straight away with the evidence that he was clearly a traitor, yeah. which he was, which he was, which is now. You know, kind of like flashing lights, mm. signposted like Blackpool flipping illuminations going, he is, you know, and here's the evidence. It's so apparent. Just across the T's and dot the I's, though, they allowed him to make one further visit to Germany before he was hauled into the London offices of MI6 and told to explain himself. <laughs> All right, go on. Arthur, I'm ready for the pack of lies. He thought on his feet and he claimed that he was actually in the middle of a cunning plan to convince the Germans that he had defected so that he could gain their trust and then use his position as a double agent to become a triple agent in order to have access to the most sensitive information, which he could then feed back to MI6. It was that simple. He hadn't mentioned this to his MI6 handler. He hadn't given any indication that that was what he was doing because it had to be so secret that no one knew about it until he completed the, the, you know ingratiating himself into the world of the German intelligence agency and only then would he reveal his amazing scheme. Nobody's giving this man any information. He has nothing. Mm. Cunning plan or not, MI6, though. MI6. Yeah. They didn't believe him. No, shit. And Arthur was told in November 1936 that his services were no longer required by MI6. No. However they would be keeping tabs on him. Mm. Apparently, the only reason they didn't prosecute at this point was because he had thought to have dual nationality with Canada and they were worried about it becoming a legal wrangle and if it got into the papers, if it wasn't Mm. something they could do quickly under wraps, Mm. it would show Britain as being weak or being compromised at a time when, you know... You don't really want to look compromised. We're we're on the eve of war. Germany started expanding. Hitler's making very ominous kind of yeah it's not so much mutterings at this point it's shoutings shoutings, isn't it so yeah yeah 
Without the information from MI6, mm. concerns were raised by his Nazi handlers, and he was forced to do some actual spying. So, like, without those little tidbits that he was sort of putting in alongside all the stuff from the newspaper articles, they were like, well, this, is, this isn't anything that we're going to pay you for. This is... No, this is tittle-tattle. Yeah. This is... So he was forced to actually, for the first time since that time in Kiel, mm-hmm. do some spying. Mm. He was able to gain plans for the RAF aerodrome at North Holt in early 1937, and that demonstrated to them that he could still be a useful asset. So he 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 realised that he he needed a big win that he could coast on for another year. You know, I think he only intended to do one spying. Yeah, just, and then just one just, good spy, and then we're good. And then continue to send clippings from the Daily Mail across there. <laughs> along with the although you wouldn't bear. need to send clippings from the Daily Mail because, of course, the Daily Mail were you know pro Nazi. Let's be fair; they, they were, were very much pro that authoritarian kind of it thing. It upsets me that Rupert's mm. involved in all this, really. Rupert Bear. I was going to say not Rupert Murdoch. Not Rupert Murdoch. That was in the Express. The Express is less. Oh, um, the Express. The Express is more yes. British National Front, isn't it? It's more. <laughs> it's BNP. <laughs> it's not the Conservative paper. No. It's the out and proud is racist the... BNP. Yeah. Send it's them a... back where they came from. Also, help me, kind of paper, innit? Yeah. For the people who don't know what the BNP was, it's UKIP before it was UKIP. Yeah. They go through many names. So they go through quite a lot, but. BMP is Skinhead National Front. Yeah. And Express readers. Brits for the Brits. He was able to increase his income from the Abvir and to move his family into a more expensive part of London again, which was duly noted by MI6 because they knew he was spying and he continued to spy and hope that they'd just leave him alone. However, in order to keep making money, he needed to keep doing actual spying. And this soon bored Arthur. Mm. He chose instead to make up the names of a number of people involved in his spy ring, and I am doing the quotation fingers here, right. as evidence that he was working to support the Nazi cause. So it was a bit like, you know, in um, Good Omens, yeah. where the Witchfinder general is, the Witchfinder sergeant is just making up names. And it's like, yes. Yes. Corporal Kettle. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Private Spoon. It's Private Spoon. All of that. Teacup. It was a bit yeah. like that. Just yeah. like, well, when you need us, I have this massive network of of other like-minded uh, people. I imagine he just flicks through the yellow pages. God, yeah. the yellow pages don't exist anymore, do they? But about phone he, directory. Phone directory. Flicking through that yellow pages. I was going to say other phone directories are available, but They're no not. phone directories no phone are directory available. Is available ever. Um, so yeah, you, he's there. Is there sat in his red mm. telephone box, flicking through yellow pages? that's attached to his piece of string in the phone box because I'm taking it right back mm. to way back when and just pointing at, pointing at names. Mm. Right, he'll well, to be, do. To be fair, he'll he, do. he did have one contact. Oh, God. He did manage to have one contact and that would be Fred Ferret, his brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Freddy Ferret? Freddy, Freddy Ferret, character from Peppa Pig. <laughs> Freddy Ferret! <laughs> who, just so, who just so happened to work... Uh, uh, the Short Brothers aircraft factory and was able through either stupidity or, you know, just to make a little bit of money, handed some plans over. So that was his only real contact was his own brother-in-law who just so happened to work at an aircraft company. Do you know what, right? It's got no more sense than just keep it in his own family. Hmm. It's like the fucking dickhead. Because, again, it all impacts his poor 
lady ferret and the baby ferrets, doesn't mm. it? Oh yeah, because it you know uh, that's it's implicating her yeah it's implicating the rest of her family into knowing all about this. I know it's just it's when just, the treason trial eventually happens, the ferrets are screwed. The ferrets are gonna have to go underground. <laughs> it writes itself. It God does. damn it! But even with the help of you know Freddy Ferret, Fer- Freddy Ferret, <laughs> eventually because it always did, Arthur's expenses overtook the money he was making as a spy, and he decided. That because the batteries still weren't selling, he just he'd try and double his income again, because this spying man. for one country provides one amount of money, but if you're spying for two countries simultaneously, double bubble. In a ballsy move, and to be fair, this does show a certain amount of balls. Mm. Arthur presented himself at Scotland Yard in September of 1938, and disclosed, I hope not just to the desk sergeant, because this would be a very confusing <laughs> day. Just the Bobby on the beat who yeah. happens to be doing the paperwork that day. Just like, what the fuck is this? He disclosed that he was Hitler's top spy <laughs> for Germany in the country and that he would soon be taking receipt of a secret radio so that he could more efficiently send secrets to mainland Europe. And this I believe... man is the loosest cannon, mm. the flappiest mouth. It's like you would give... It's like a foghorn on legs. You wouldn't give him anything worth a damn. Because the... he will literally... I bet he's the one down the pub. He's had, he's had half a shandy and he's loose-lipped and he will literally tell everybody in there every bit of his business mm. and every bit of his made-up business and every bit of every lie that he's ever told to anybody ever he's just there just flapping his lips it's all coming out well, in this he was actually being sent to radio because as the sort of war footing started the the nazis realized that their assets in other countries probably weren't going to be able to travel as freely um, and anyone who continued to do business dealings to to berlin was probably going to be viewed closer than they were being you know sort of tabs would be kept so they needed another way of getting information from them so they were sending over this this radio i understand that you know it's i get i get that but this man is a liability but in this one in this one case he was not a liar because the radio did indeed arrive and mi5 inspected it and rather upsettingly for, for the British intelligence community, they found it was much more advanced than the British equipment at the time. And it may, because they were able to study it and they were able to learn some things, this mm. one act may represent the first time that Arthur Owens actively helped the British in any way at all. Oh, God. So he's been a spy for three years now. Mm, too many years. Three years, and this is the first time he's actively helped MI5, MI6 in any kind of significant way. Wow. The radio, after it had been thoroughly inspected, mm. was returned to him and he was allowed to continue to use his contacts with the Nazis under the watchful eyes of British intelligence. So they were like, OK, you started out as a, as a secret agent for us. Then you became mm. a double agent for the Germans. Then you tried to say you were a triple agent, but we rebuffed you. Now we want you to be that triple agent, but you're going to have to convince the Nazis that you're not a triple agent, okay? Can mm. you keep quiet about that? No, he can't. No. Well, we'll see. Maybe this is the time he turns, no. turns over a new leaf. No. No. The whole scheme was almost immediately scuppered. <laughs> there we go. When his long-suffering wife finally figured out where he was getting his cash from and decided to divorce him. But Good. not before sending letters to both the Germans and the British 
which essentially said he was an untrustworthy shit, he was playing them, and that they should probably either put him in prison or better yet, just kill him and dump his body in a ditch. She was like, to the Germans, she's like... She has had enough of his shit. Could you imagine? She has been drugged from fucking Canada back to the UK. She has been in-house, out-house, this way, that way. Yes, she can. No, you can't. Fuck off. Here's our Jaguar. Here's our Jaguar. The Jaguar's gone. Do not ask why. I tell you now, I would have killed him. Uh, he would have been under that patio. Well, this, this could have killed him. Like Brookside. She was exposing this, him I to Brookside, both sides. I would have Brooksided his ass. He'd have been under that patio. You are really alienating our American listener. Whoever you are. Thank you. Brookside. Google it. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> you're going to have an interesting evening <laughs> if you can decipher Scouse. So, yeah, she, she did that. But both sides were like, we know. We we know we just feel like we can get more benefit than the other side. It's he he is in this fine balance where both sides feel like they're getting more benefit than negative effect from this guy. So he's just on balance, just about worthwhile not killing. No, I tell you what it is, right? I tell you what it is, because he's he's equally shit in both areas. Ooh. It's playing the laws of averages. It's like if if we if we take our finger off the pulse on this guy, there is a slim to none, but still a slim. Yeah, he's chance. a complete agent of chaos. He may stumble upon. He something. may stumble again. So we're going to have to keep him on side. Do we like him? No. Is he a liability? Yes. Does he know what he's doing? No. Is he a blabber? Yes, he is. But we're just going to have to just keep hold of him for now. Mm. The thing is, in the First World War, there was none of these machinations. If you were found to be, you know, feeding information to the enemy, you didn't get to argue your case. You were just shot. Yeah. You know, if he'd have been trying to pull the shit just 30 years before... He wouldn't have even been a prisoner of war. Oh, no, he, was he, a war he, would... he would have been a war criminal and sent that would have to been death it. and that would be it. Yeah. He's realised that actually there's there's now this new space to play in. Mm. And that because the Dicey rules, game, though. But the rules are still being formed with espionage. World War Two was where espionage really, in the modern sense, I know there's always been spies and spying, but in the mm. modern sense, mm. this is where it was born. And he is taking advantage of the fact that no one really knows what the rules should be to try and just make as much profit as he can. And with his wife, and with Mrs. Well, Ferret. To be baby fair, Ferret. although nobody killed him, the British did take her advice to the point that they did arrest him finally. Uh, following the start of World War Two, so when mm. World War Two was announced, it was like one of the first things MI MI Five did was go, "Can we just um, we just gonna... got that radio? Let's just arrest him and bring the radio with him." Yeah, uh, yeah. Just just so that we're containing him at this yeah. point. We can contain him. We can keep an eye on him. We can rob his radio. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he's probably best just locked up mm. for the foreseeable. Because what they'd realised is having this way of potentially feeding false information to the Nazis could prove quite useful now that war were formally declared. It's like, mm. the gloves are off now. We've allowed him to continue with his pretend spying so that the Germans trust him, so that the Nazis trust him. Now's the time that we can exploit that because we're finally at war and we can kind of justify that. Uh, he was taken to Wormwood Scrubs oh, where right, he okay. was put in one cell. His radio was put in the next cell. Yeah. And he would be trotted across to the radio under the watchful eye of the prison staff to send what he was told to send. However, 
that didn't last too long because eventually he was moved out of the prison and into a flat along with his new young girlfriend. Was she a prosy? No, she was just somebody who was, I'm assuming, naive enough I was gonna say younger... to believe his shit. Right. So this is now getting in down the realms of Epstein creepiness. I think, you know, he was going, I'm a spy, you know. And actually... Oh, God, a creepy old schmoozer. People from MI6 and MI5 were sort of around him. He was moved into a flat and it was on the government expense. So he had all of the, the sort of staging to, to show her that. I think he didn't mention the fact that he, he basically just did just whatever shamed. for whoever. He's just... Sh- he, he, he... The man's got no scruples. But they moved him because they were concerned, and I think this is fair play to how how advanced they thought German technology was. They were Mm. really worried that the Germans would be able to triangulate where the radio signals were being sent from. And Mm. they they thought, do you know what? It's going to look a bit sus if they realise it's coming from Wormwood Scrubs. Mm. If they realise that all of Arthur's messages are coming from prison. I'm surprised that they, they didn't have him in a holding cell somewhere like Bletchley Park. Mm. which again for our dear listeners not of the uk who might not know bletchley park was where the british intelligent it's where the code breakers it's where the code breakers worked for oh do you think do you think they could have tried to send codes do you think this man had the wherewithal to use codes apparently the one thing he did do he was very proud of his his peak spying Mm. he had false teeth and what he would do is he would take the information and he would wrap it up in silver foil and he would place it around his gums and then he'd put his teeth over the top so he'd be storing the information under his dentures. And he was very proud of that. It's like, this proves I'm a top spy. <laughs> Look at how <laughs> undetectable it is. Despite mm, the fact that every time proof. he bit into something, you could hear the sound of sort of foil. <laughs> What's yeah. that? Uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure that if he bit something right, I'd say you couldn't go near a microwave. Yeah, every time he was speaking into the radio, if he got the microphone too close. Yeah. So he's moved to this lovely flat with his girlfriend. I'm guessing there was an expense account to keep him sweet. Mm. Initially, Owens was asked for regular weather reports for the use of the Luftwaffe Mm. and also to test his credibility because naturally, you know, once war was declared and there was the worry of invasion, the BBC stopped giving anything weather reports because that's going to help the enemy if it's well i mean you don't want to let the the luftwaffe know when cloud skies tonight i know cloud well no cloud coverage would be the one cloud coverage would be that would we or fog oh yeah we're due for a five-day pea super next week yeah that'd be that'd be perfect because you literally you'd only know they were there when they were about half a mile away yeah as soon as you could hear the drone of the engines they'd be like oh Oh, shit shit where is my house because i can see nothing yeah no where's cover so um he he passed on the the weather reports because they wanted him to to you know give enough that they would think that he hadn't been compromised so Mm -hmm. then when he started to send the false information they believe him yeah he was given £470 from the Nazis for the information on the British uh, radar systems that he provided. Oh, my God. Wasn't true, luckily. And he was also somehow sent some detonators for use in sabotage. So it got to the point now where they were like, well, you've given us information, but now we're in a war. So your spying um, duties are going to expand slightly and there's mm-hmm. going to be some light sabotage 
Some minor explosives work is what we're expecting from you now. Right. But when we invade, once Operation Sea Line is a success, mm. you will obviously have earned the Fuhrer's favour and you will be able to take your new young lady friend <clears throat> back to Berlin where you will live in the poshest of hotels and drive the finest of German-made sports cars. Mm. So he he was sold the dream. And as far as they were concerned... Were, was the, actually, were the Audis or BMWs? It's his choice. Fair enough. That's how nice they were. Mm. He was also promised that he would be sent explosives and a better radio in I, due course. I wouldn't trust that man with a spoon, never mind a detonator and explosives. Mm. They'd sent him the detonators, but wisely they kind of pre-warned yeah. him. They were like, there will be explosives coming, Arthur. Maybe you want to do some research about how to... Yeah. safely oh no just blow your own face off Arthur things. it's fine in return for their trust Owens told MI5 that the Germans had told him that the phony war would end in mid-May and this proved to be accurate so actually there was another little little bit of good that this weird situation he found himself in provided yeah, no, but it, it's it's one of those. There's a lot of bad surrounding mm. the tiny teaspoon of of good that this mm. man has. And even despite this tiny teaspoon of good, yeah. they were still suspicious of him quite a lot. God, yeah. Mainly because off his own bat again, he decided to charter a fishing trawler from Grimsby uh, to meet with the Nazis on Dogger Bank in the North Sea, where none of British intelligence could see what he got up to. He'd taken a second double agent called Sam McCarthy with him. Mm. Uh, Luckily for all involved, Sam was actually there to check up on Owen, so he wasn't uh, turned by the Nazis. He was... He was a double-double-double. He was a double-double-double-double. He was was there to convince Owens that he was the same as Owens, and Owens wasn't smart enough to... Go, no, you're not. So go, well, it seems like the first thing that MI5 would try to keep tabs on me was to get me to befriend someone who I I saw as a kindred spirit. The man's not that bright, is he? Mm. The meeting didn't actually take place because luckily, because they were just in a small fishing boat and and the Nazis were just in a small fishing boat so as not to draw attention, they missed each other. (laughs) It's very hard for two small tugboats to locate each other somewhere over Dogger Bank. Um, But when he got back... Owens was found to be in possession of a list of all key MI5 personnel. So we don't know what he intended to do, but he chartered a boat without the knowledge of MI5. Yeah. While in possession of a list of all key MI5 operatives and agents to go out to Dogger Bank and meet Nazis. Yeah. For some reason. I think we can join the dots there. I th- well, I don't think it's a difficult dot to dot. I think we're making a triangle out of them three dots, aren't we, really? Mm. He was arrested again. No! And he was threatened with being hung as a traitor, which he clearly was. Good. I'm going to leave that there. Mm. Good. <laughs> However, Ugh. MI5 believed, completely correctly, that Owens was primarily interested in making money from both sides. And somehow this convinced them to allow Owens to continue radio transmissions to Germany. Because they're like, he's not a true traitor. Because no, he, he is. He doesn't ideologically believe in one side or the other. He's just a grifter trying to make money. So hanging him, although it would get rid of the headache that he is, he also has provided us with some good information. And is the headache worth it? And they decided again on that fine balance... Just about. I don't think he realises on what tighter balance his life is hanging by. Mm. 
I mean, they tightened up security because although he was allowed to make radio transmissions uh, again, they were now actually being supervised very heavily by a bloke called Maurice Burton, Mm. who was an ex-prison warder who'd been looking after Owens in Wandsworth. Mm. Uh, And he'd been able to adapt to Owens' style of transmitting. So he was able to not only tell exactly what Owens was doing when he was sending messages, but he made it quite clear that if they had to kill Owens... He could pretend to be Owens quite convincingly over the radio. So they, they were enough. threatening him now, at least. Yeah. Which I feel is the minimum you should be doing. Yeah. The Germans still believed in Owens, but as a precaution, they were feeding him with as much misinformation about the planned invasion of Britain as they were real information. At the same mm. time, as Owens was sending misinformation to Germany about the bombing of Britain, meaning that no one was actually gaining anything at this point. No, well, you see, this is the kind of stalemate situation that I thought they'd find themselves in. It's like nobody's actually winning, but... But they both feel like if they change the status quo, they'd be losing. Yes. Arthur then got to operate in this weird liminal space between right and wrong where everyone was too worried that they just kept paying the man and hoping... Yeah. And he he kept... he, He had a flat, he had his mistress, he had expenses... He was living the best war life, uh, you know, of anyone in London, really, at that point. Dirty little rat man would. In August 1940, Owens organised a meeting in Germany to hand over a certain modified set of documents, such as ration cards, um, passports, you know, things that could be used if you ever wanted to stage an invasion. Mm. So if your Abwehr sort of agents wanted to infiltrate first to lay the groundwork, this is exactly the kind of stuff you'd need. But all of it was um, marked, so if it ever was used, um, it would immediately be flagged. Mm. So again, proved just useful enough because the Germans were now in possession of a load of passports and documents and all of these things that they thought were undetectable. Legit. But would immediately flag that this person was, was a Nazi agent. And then you could choose to do what you wanted. You could kill them, you could try and turn them, or you could just keep tabs on them until you figured out what the bigger plan was and then sweep in. So mm. that was quite useful. In return, he got a new radio and 950 quid from the from the Nazis. And it boosted Owen's position in the eyes of the German authorities because they're like, look at all of this great stuff mm. we've got from him. Mm. Owen's helped deliver German spies to MI5, who were then given the choice of becoming double agents or facing a hangman or the firing squad. So he would provide information and details, but once they got into the country... Mm. And they went to meet with Owens. They would be mm-hmm. met by MI5. So yeah. he, when he wasn't in control of it himself, and Maurice was doing all the work, it became a very efficient kind it's of. Only network. at this at this point, and I don't actually think he cares, but he is just a puppet. Oh yeah, he's he's got to the point where he's a he's a puppet, but he's a well paid puppet. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, he's not going to care about it because it's... in his in his weird way, in his own weird way, he's kind of winning. Mm. Well, he's got to that point that some celebrities get to where the name recognition is enough. It doesn't actually matter what he's doing anymore. The important thing is... A lot... Of... <clears throat> Most celebrities are like that. It matters not what they do. That It's just a name. Good, bad, or indifferent. Just a name. He was, it was considered to be such a, a positive for, for MI5 by this stage that... During the bombing of London, you know, the first Blitz, yeah. Owens was considered to be such an important asset, he was moved to Surrey, um, where he could live in relative luxury oh with his girlfriend God. and their new baby. Uh, Joe, I couldn't give a shit. He's having this, a great time. This man shouldn't be procreating. Mm. This little bastard weasel children. And over the course of 1940 and early 1941, Owens' apparent sort of new leaf, 
fact that he was now working well with MI5, that he was doing the things that they wanted. He convinced them to allow him to fly to Portugal to meet his German handler, as long as he took another potential double agent called Walter Dicketts. Mm. Owens was concerned, he agreed, but he was concerned that MI5 was seeking to replace him with Dicketts, which was entirely true, to be fair. Mm. They were like, what if we had someone the Germans trusted as much as Arthur, but who wasn't an unbearable shit mm. who couldn't be trusted? Yeah, who wasn't this bizarre loose cannon that we've had to suffer. Yeah. And that man was Walter Dicketts. After all, Walter had only been convicted in um, court of a few cases of light fraud. So he was a much more trustworthy person than Arthur Owens. Oh, yeah. And when Arthur was told that he was not going to be allowed to accompany Dicketts to Berlin for the Abwehr training, mm. he really panicked because he was like, oh, my God, he is going to replace me. Right. Uh, and this made him sort of think about the situation he was in, how his cushy life that he'd always wanted where he was getting to call himself a secret agent, that he was an important man and he was getting paid. It was all at risk. Yeah, but he doesn't like the Ministry of Defence. No, but he likes the money. He but he does prestige. like the Ministry of Defence. He likes what they're giving him. Mm. But he was worried it was all going to be snatched away. So he decided right. to do something that, in hindsight, could be seen as possibly a bit rash. Right. After Dicketts had left to mm. go deep into enemy territory, right. he decided to tell his handler that both he and Dicketts were actually working for British intelligence and that his radio back in London was being operated by MI5 and had for a while. Oh, my Because God. what he was trying to position himself as was, but this was my plan to become a quadruple secret agent. A du- the literal the double, 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 double. Yeah. So he, he decided to double down and go, right, if MI5 are going to try and burn me, I'm going to turn it around... I don't see, at this point, this going down very well. Mm. Well, three weeks later, when Dicketts and Owens flew back to England in late March, because the Germans believed Owens... Oh, my God. Owens was found to be carrying... And they believed in him a lot, because he was found to be carrying £10,000 in cash and explosive pens. (laughs) That's not a real thing. That's Johnny English stuff. He had £10,000 in cash and explosive pens. They went... This double, 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 double agent stuff is so 5D chess, Arthur, that you you need to protect yourself. Here's yeah. 10 grand. Here's some explosive pens. You keep going, man. Hitler loves what you're doing. He's, he's completely behind this. Right. Would Hitler have actually been knowledgeable of any of this nonsense? Because at this, at this point, it is nonsense. But that's the thing. It's war. It's a brand new kind of war. It is this counter espionage and espionage. They're still working out the rules, and he is just pushing his luck. And people yeah. keep going, people no keep going, shit. Oh no! It w- it would be great to have a secret agent working for us who England think is pretending to work for us, and we believe is working for us because we think that he's pretending to work for them. So yes, that's really going to help us. You know, it's. They're all tying themselves in knots over this shit. They are over one bloke. Just shoot the bugger and get rid of him. Owens was confronted about the fact that he had clearly, you know, blabbed all of this information by MI5. Yeah. And he explained that he had informed the Germans as part of a further scheme to become a, what would you be there? Five, a five times. Pent. Yeah. 
a pentangle fan- agent. I don't know if you he know what. He's a complete pent. He's a complete pent at this point. And he, furthermore, he claimed to have told Dickett about this scheme ahead of time. He's like, he didn't go into Berlin before I'd blown his cover. He agreed to me blowing his cover and then went to Berlin. Well, that's well, that's a stupid game to play because that's surely mm. you'd be able to check that pretty quickly. Well, they did. They checked it with Dickett, who went, we never have that conversation. Yeah, that conversation. He is completely lying about that. I was stuck to my cover the entire time. Yeah. And I was apparently at risk of death at any moment. I bet he didn't. Yeah, I bet at that moment he was just like, oh my God. Owens then called Dickett's a liar and said the proof that he had gone into the Abvia sort of, you know, training camp and done all of the stuff, it, it, it was proof that he had actually seriously been turned by the Germans and that Dickett's was now truly working for the Germans, whereas all the times Owens had been working for the Germans, right. it had just been pretend and that they should stick with Owens because he was the known quantity, whereas Dickett's, you can't trust this man. Right. Mm. After hours of interrogating them both, Dickett's account was believed, and finally, finally, Arthur Owens was really imprisoned. Wow. And he stayed in an internment camp until the end of the war for having endangered Dickett's life and for having revealed secret information that his pre-war German radio transmitter was being operated by MI5. By the time of his arrest, mm. his real arrest, not his fake arrests, mm. the Germans had paid him at least £13,850, which is God. worth over a million in today's <gasps> terms. And bearing in mind, this is 1942. And he'd and been he'd put started... up in Surrey. He'd started... Well, it, that doesn't count what he got from the from the British. He'd started spying in 1935. Mm. So for seven years, he'd made a million pounds from the Germans alone in those seven years. And he'd made money from the British. And that doesn't include expenses. That's just money he was paid. So he, he probably made upwards of two million over the course of seven years from spying. Dickett's continued to work as an agent for MI5 until 1943 undertaking a further mission to Lisbon to help an Abvia officer defect. And he spent six months in South America until March 1942, but we have no idea what he was doing in South America. Because unlike Owens, Dickens, he could keep a secret. He, he, he could hold his tongue, could he? Yeah. He never spoke about it, because that's what real spies do. Yes. MI5 continued to use Owens' radio to inform the Germans that he was seriously ill and wouldn't be able to make any further transmissions while Owens was kept in Dartmoor prison until the end of the war oh he was in Dartmoor he was in Dartmoor Hmm. Owens' son from his marriage was 21 at this time Mm. and possibly acting on his father's instructions he tried to get his father out of prison oh my god however when he bragged about sketching airfields in 1939 and sending the information to Hamburg he was also arrested and imprisoned. Oh. Because they were like, we're not going through this again. No, it's just like, right, we've been through this shit before. This is ridiculous. We know this game plan. Get to prison and stay there because yeah. you and your dad are just too much trouble with your super secret quadruple sextuple. Your nout but trouble. Infinite. Nout but trouble. Yeah. Owen's girlfriend, his younger girlfriend, Lily. A bit of fluff. Yeah. yeah. She decided not to wait for him. And instead, she married another man from London and settled down with Owen's child, who he never saw again. Not really surprising. Yeah, she, much like Mrs. Ferret, Miss Ferret, she decided to cut her losses and get as far away from Arthur as possible. Yeah. 
Arthur Owens, was released in May of 1945. He reluctantly signed the Official Secrets Act and was given £500 by MI5 to f*** off and stay there. Mm-hmm. Owens changed his surname to White, a play on his former codename Snow, because even then he wanted to push it. He knew that technically he'd won. You know, he was a traitor who hadn't been tried as a traitor. Yeah. Who wasn't, he, you know, wasn't left with a criminal record. He was kept there as a precaution. Like, almost like under house arrest mm. kind of thing. So by changing his name to White, it's like, <laughs> you used to call me Snow, remember that? Remember when I played you and got loads of money and things? And I won. And he moved in 1948 to Ireland with a new wife and a new baby. He must have some gift of the gab, this... Rat-faced Rat-faced liar. Mm, He did. He settled in Harristown, County Dublin and spent a good ten years just enjoying the quiet life before finally dying in 1957, having not really faced any consequences for his completely opportunistic and selfish acts during wartime. Of course it was selfish. It didn't help but being selfish. I'd almost have had more respect for him if he had ideologically placed himself alongside the Nazis and had just been a traitor. Yeah. There's something honest about being a traitor in a way. I, it's actually, yeah. I, I am rejecting your ideology. I think their ideology is it's right. It's the and courage of that. your convictions, but he didn't, he just was solely out for himself. So he couldn't even keep his story straight on he has convictions. any level. He has convictions. What? But if you don't like them, he has others. And he can change them at yeah. a drop of a hat. His conviction and blame is other people. he deserves money, he deserves respect, and there's no real barriers to how he can get that. Mm. So that is the story of Arthur Owens, codenamed mm. Snow, at one time considered Hitler's premier spy in Britain. Well, in his own estimation. And possibly the most traitorous man never to have been tried as a traitor. And to have got away, essentially, completely scot-free. And the source... Go on, source me up. Double Agent Snow, the true story of Arthur Owens, Hitler's chief spy in England, by James Hayward. Which actually goes into a lot of detail of how the spy network sort of started to develop around oh, the interwar like, period. I do like a bit of espionage. Lots of asides of other spy rings, other spies who were operating at the time. It's a good read if you've got the time. But obviously for brevity, I had to stick to just the things pertinent to our Arthur because I knew you'd want to stick with him. I I do love to hate a character. Yeah. And he is incredibly hateful. (laughs) Now, I think it's been quite a good story to do because um, as you're going for a bath now, you can wash the sense of disgust from yourself. Yeah. And hopefully forget all about Arthur. It's not. He's not going to stick in your memory at like Paddy, is he? No, no. Mm. I, to be, if I'm going to be honest, the the bad ones. I don't. I barely even remember their names. Mm. As it should be. Which is, I think, yeah. And that that be a lesson to anyone who thinks that they're going to become notorious for for evil deeds that Emma will not acknowledge. I won't remember you. Yeah, she won't remember you and. That is the snub that really should set you onto the straight and narrow. Mm. I think we should end it there. Yeah. Mm. With with that piece of advice for all of our potty peeps. 
Dear listeners is what we call them, Joe. Dear listeners. My peepees? No, we're not calling them your peepees. You're no fun. No. <laughs> Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.